Hey, Julie. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to another episode of That's Probably How It Happened. Yes, I'm excited for our guest today. Who is our guest? Our guest is one of my dear friends. She's one of the first people I met in the storytelling community here in the Bay Area. And she has the most unusual storytelling style. No topic is off limits for her. She talks about things that other people don't even register in their consciousness as a thing to talk about. And she turns them into hilarious stories. So um, our guest tonight Hello. is Mosa Maxwell-Smith. Yay! Hey, Mosa! Hi, Julie. Hi, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I saw you tell a story recently at Julie's show, and I enjoyed it very much. Oh. I'm very excited to have you on our podcast. Oh, yay. Thank you. That was fun. It's always fun to tell at Julie's shows, even when yes. they're not in person. Even when at they're on Story Zoom. Slam Oakland. Is that what it's called? <laughs> story Slam Oakland? <laughs> Oh, thank you. Story Slam Oakland. I thank you for saying that. Story Slam Oakland. If only you had a URL that might be storyslamoakland.com. Is that right? I bought that URL and there is a website there that I have created for people who like to uh, do storytelling anywhere in the world now because we're all in our quarters sheltering in place for this pandemic. And this podcast will age really well. We'll be all so nostalgic for these times. It will. How is your pandemic going, Mosa? What is the most interesting thing that has occurred to you? Oh, wow. So, so many things. You know, I, I work in the real world now. I'm back in, in IRL, in real life, with actual <laughs> small children. Um, so I feel like my pandemic's over, and I have to admit I'm having, like, pandemic envy of myself of a few months ago <laughs> when I could stay in my pajamas from the waist down, and I was reorganizing my earring collection. Um, and now, like, I do things like get up in the morning and put on actual clothes all over my body and hang out with other people. Um, it feels your earrings look totally ways. disorganized now, so I can see how this has affected you. It is. I, it's, a, it's traumatic, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm looking into therapy about my earring, earring mess. Did you bring a story for us today? I did bring a story, yes. I, I have a story here for you now. You're, are you ready? I'm going to very casually begin telling a story. Perfect. I will casually listen. So we were all taught that reduce, reuse, and recycling, that's good, right? But hoarding is bad. And there's, I think, a fine line between hoarding and being um, environmentally aware. And I'm afraid that my mother in my childhood might have crossed that line. Um, my mom came from a long line of savers. Her mother was raised during the Great Depression. So her mother's mother and father, my great Grammy and Gramps, as they were called, saved everything because they were raising young children, you know, um, in the 1930s. So my Grammy, for example, I still have an apron of hers and the trim on the apron is made up of little scraps of fabric from another sewing project. It's all pieced together because that's what she had. And her husband, my Gramps, all the walls of his garage were covered with cigar boxes that had been individually painted and then into them drawers had been inserted and the drawers were made out of beer cans. So not only does this say something about his saving, like addict, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> beer cans and cigar boxes in the garage and enough to house all of his screws and nuts and bolts and like any handyman thing he would need. Um, 
And so my mom really looked up to them and wanted to emulate them. And in the early 90s, when I was growing up in Southern California, before we had recycling trucks, my mom organized a recycling program in my neighborhood. My neighbor, Lee Hirschman, made us mugs that said, Eco Saints of Agnes Avenue, because my mom literally took all of the neighbor's recycling and brought it to the recycling dump. Is it a dump still? I don't know. The recycling repository. That is a big <laughs> word for late at night. Um, every week. And so she not only did that, um, every rag that I ever used in my childhood was made out of old clothing that had gotten holes in it or whatever. I, I'm still scarred from having to use my dad's old underwear to Windex the countertops. Like, <laughs> seriously, guys? Like, boundaries, please, just a little. Um, and my mom, I remember, too, in her closet, she had this project that she was working on. A sheet had gotten a hole in it, so she torn the sheet into strand, like strands, big strips of sheet, <laughs> and she was braiding it to make a rug. Like, this was a project she was working on for my entire childhood. Um, and when I became a mom, I remembered, it, it flashed back to me like some sort of horrific PTSD, another saving habit of my mother's. Um, something that you may not know about pregnancy and childbirth, at least in my experience, is that after I had my baby, um, my hair started to fall out of my head. Like I would brush my hair and then take this giant clump out of the hairbrush um, I would take a shower and I would finger comb conditioner all through my hair and then I would pull it to the side and there would be this huge wad of hair that I would then stick up onto the um, the shower wall. And then I would go to wash my, you know, my, my nether region, my private areas. And I would, like, out of the crack of my butt, I would pull all of the hair that had fallen down and gotten caught in the shelf of my ass. Not Not hair that my ass grew itself hair that landed from my head in the crack of my ass and was clenched there for most of the day unbeknownst to me. So I would take all of this hair and put it up on the wall of the shower. And I remembered I had this, like, I was struck with this vision that my mom used to do that every day. And of course, I was in the bathroom with her while she showered because what mom has privacy. And she, when she would get out of the shower, she would wrap the hair on her hand. Then she would go over to her medicine cabinet where there was a recycled, reused country crock margarine container with a hole cut in the top. And then she would just stuff the hair down in that margarine container. And I was like, this is normal. Just like some, some kids are like, oh yeah, all parents store a pot under the coffee table. Oh yeah, all parents hit you every night before you go to bed. Like that's, you're normal. My parents didn't hit me or store a pot. I'm just saying those are examples <laughs> from other families. Sorry, mom. Didn't mean to make you look bad. Um, so my, I asked my mom one day, you know, mom, why do you save that hair? Because it was starting, I was starting to clue in like maybe not every family has this hair collection. Like Sloan Heller's mom, she did not have that hair collection when I went in their bathroom. And my mom said, well, in olden times, pioneers used to make pillows out of their own hair. What? And I think my mom could say anything as long as she said in olden times before it. It was one of my favorite things. It was so romanticized in the olden times. Um, in thinking about this story, I was trying to like test the veracity of my mother's assertion. And so I Googled, like this is in the present now, right? I flashed back and now we're in the present. And I Googled um, 
pioneer pillow stuffed with, and I got as far as half, and then Google tried to help me. Google was all, haggis, stuffed with haggis. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, my mom's theory is debunked, but she saved this hair. She had it all the time. And even though we hear this and it's weird, when I was a child, I totally looked up to my mother in every way. She was this former ballerina, thin and beautiful with bright flaming red hair. All of my friends loved her. They would come over to my house and be like, hi, Lisa, is, is your mom here? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll be doing my homework. You guys can talk about your chakras in the kitchen. <laughs> um, and I really wanted to emulate her. But when I hit puberty, I was exactly the opposite of her in every way. Like, my body was coated in this extra layer of estrogen and acne. I was swollen. I had made this terrible error in judgment um, to get my hair cut short like a boy with like one long rat's tail left in the back, um, just that I would braid sometimes <laughs> to add to the attractiveness. And um, I had not just the stick-on braces, but like full wrap-around braces on all of my teeth. I was nowhere like my mother. And because I was so awkward and <sighs> disgusting in this way, um, I was mocked severely at school. And my chief, my chief mockerina, <laughs> my chief mocker was a girl named Tara. And she was so cool. She had all esprit clothes. She played the recorder, like two different kinds of recorder, like the alto recorder and the soprano recorder. Um, and she, I think, I didn't know the term then, but she was the first person to ever gaslight me. Like she would be so nice to my face and friendly and sweet and, oh my gosh, you're so funny, ha, ha, ha. And then talking smack behind my back, she got these mean girls to follow me home from school in seventh grade, just an unkind person. And she made me feel lousy. And, and junior high anyway is this place where you're, trying to fit in, but also stand out at the same time, right? You have these conflicting feelings of, of wanting to be a part of the crowd, but also just like sticking out in, a, in the right kinds of ways. Um, and I was feeling sad. And so I tried to find solace in my family identity. I was like, I can maybe feel better about myself if I look to my family and see what they do. And I can try and feel like I'm a part of something. And I, I thought about it for a while. And I realized my family was a family of collectors. Like my mom saved her hair and was trying to save the planet. Um, my dad saved hotel soaps and shampoos from every hotel he'd ever been to in his entire life. Like literally there was a drawer in my parents' bathroom that you opened and it was all like neatly organized miniature soaps and shower caps and sewing kits. My sister, my younger sister, um, had what ended up being a rust collection. It started out as a bottle cap collection but she found that to be too constricting, you know, she didn't, she wanted to be able to open up her collecting to, to bigger things. So at six, she began collecting rust. We would like walk by a construction site and she'd be like, look, a screw. And so I thought, how could I find something to collect? I could take my love. I can take something that I love and build upon it. And at the time, what I really, really loved more than anything was, cats. And I had already started collecting cat things to some extent. I did have a subscription to Cat Fancy magazine. And I would cut out the pictures from Cat Fancy magazine and put them in photo albums. I have you guys still in my shed four volumes of what I called cat books. 
which were just photo albums filled with pictures of cats. Um, and then there was this poor boy named Stephen Sweeney, who I convinced to be my pen pal. And we would like not type. I almost did the typing gesticulation, not that anyone can see it anyway, but we would actually send each other, yeah, actual letters and enclose pictures of cats that we'd cut out of Cat Fancy Magazine and very, various <laughs> other things. So already collecting cats in a totally normal way, obviously, how can I make it weirder? Well, I thought about my mom and how I wanted to be like her. And then I had it. It was summer and the cats were shedding and I began to brush them. And off of them came this magical fluff. So much of it. It was an abundant and underutilized resource. We had four cats. That is a lot of hair. And I started to save it and organize it by cat. Just like my grandpa with the screws and nuts and bolts in the garage, I organized the cat hair. It was labeled in little plastic baggies in the closet in my room from each of the four cats. And that wasn't enough for me. I started going over to friends' houses, and if I pet their cat and any fur came off of it at all, I would save that fur and bring it back home to my house. I remember being at a sleepover one night and being like, excuse me, could I have a Ziploc for the, the hair that I just stole off your cat? So mom was like, sure, no problem. Yeah, of course you can have that. That'd be great. Um, so I, I was saving it, and I thought I was doing this great thing. I'm like, I'm just like my mom. I'm saving something. I'm reusing, and I'm so environmentally aware. Um, and I started shopping the idea around to my friends, you know, like you do. And I was like, you guys, I'm making a pillow out of cat hair. And they were all like, that is disgusting. And I was sad. <laughs> my, my beta testing was not going well. My friends were all totally grossed out by my cat hair pillow idea. And then I had this realization. Tara, the mean girl who had been mocking me behind my back and telling girls to beat me up, was horrifically allergic to cats. <laughs> I had this beautiful idea of passive aggressive vengeance. And I was going to make a pillow and give it to her as a present. Luckily for Tara, another thing that runs in my family is lack of follow through. Um, and just like my mom's braided rug that is still in her closet to this day, my cat hair collection never got turned into a pillow. Although I did check with my mother, the cat hair and her hair and my sister's rust collection are all still at my parents' house in case anyone wants to see these very things. Um, and I still, I love my mom so much and I look up to her and respect her. And I think of her actually every time I shower and I take the wad of hair off the wall of my shower and I throw it in the goddamn trash. That's Yay! my story. <laughs> I do wow. that with my hair on the shower too. I'll, you do? I'll, I'll uh, wipe it up and put it up, put it, roll it up in a ball because I have long hair and fix it to the shower wall until I can throw it away in the garbage. I don't leave yeah. it on the shower. Wait, I'm sorry. You pick up the hair out of the drain and you roll it up into a ball and you stick it to the shower wall? No, is that the what you way said? this works, Mike, is that you try and get it before it gets to the drain. So as it comes out of your head, 
you get it to the wall so that you save yourself from having to pick it out of the drain. All right? right? All right. Am I, fine, is that fine, what you fine. do, Julie? I can just slide it off of the drain cover. It's not gross. It's not like it goes down the drain. But you don't want <laughs> it to go down the drain because then it might clog the drain and then your landlord will have to come over and then right. yuck. Oh, I, oh, I'm learning so much. Um, so I was going to ask you, Mosa, you know, what your mother did with the hair, but the answer is nothing, right? Yeah. After all these years of collecting. But I mean, after decades of living, she has to have a pretty sizable quantity of hair at this point, right? Like I'm imagining it's a large cubic volume of hair that she has, right? I like agree a with you. Of... Maybe my follow-up is to go and visit my parents' house, although I haven't been in their house since March. And maybe I can have my mom bring the hair out of quarantine. I can look at it in the backyard um, and I can see how much it is. But she when could I, yeah, donate time, it. She could donate it to cancer patients. Oh, there's an idea. Or the oil spill cleanup stuff. That's a thing, right? <laughs> Something. Yeah. But I know that when I clean out the drain, you know, I get a good sized clump, and that's after a few days. If you have decades of this, I'm thinking there must be like a room of your house that is dedicated yeah. to this hair clump. Well, I would say that I I don't know if my mother would agree with this, but once it hits the drain, I don't think it's any longer viable for her purposes. It's like the drain is lava. Once the hair hits the drain, (laughs) it is officially dirty and disgusting, and no one would want to touch it or make a pioneer hair pillow out of it um, unless maybe it got (laughs) decontaminated. I don't that know. All right. I can, I can see our seven listeners are gagging, so let's change the subject. <laughs> I have a hairball, maybe. Fine. All right. Can I have one other question? So normally, and I forgot yeah. to do this, before everyone tells their story, um, I ask mm-hmm. people what the theme of their story is so that we can then reverse engineer a theme for the show. Mosa, right. what was the theme of your story? Right. Oh, um, wow. Um, <laughs> familial, familial love and, and family rituals. Yeah. Family rituals. I like that. Family rituals. I might just call it hair, but family rituals. I like it. <laughs> Julie, what is the theme of your story? Um, well, maybe I should tell it first and then we'll figure out what the theme no, is. No, 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 no. I want to hear the theme up front. Uh, the theme is um, falling off a cliff. Falling off a cliff. All right. I'll accept that as a theme. <laughs> Cliffhanger? Cliffhangers. <laughs> Very clever. Yes. I don't, I don't think I have the theme of my story. Um, uh, self-awareness or um, personalities or judgment. Oh, judgment. That's the theme of my story, judgment. Oh, good. You're very judgy. That's an appropriate theme for you, Mike. <laughs> I didn't Mike say I'm nice, the one judging. But he's secretly judgy. <laughs> Secretly judging. I've already judged both of you. Julie, would you like to tell us a story? Yes. Okay. So this story takes place in the 90s, the late 90s, perhaps 1998, before online dating was a thing. Before online dating was a thing, people who were lonely used to put ads in the newspaper, little couple lines with abbreviations. And I was in my first job outside of college. I was looking for an apartment and now I was also looking for a boyfriend. So I answered an ad from the personals that said something like SWPM, which 
I looked up and it meant single white professional male looking for fit cutie for outdoor fun. So I answered the ad and that's how I met Tony Calderoni. He was a former Navy SEAL, Special Forces, and he was a current rock climbing instructor and guidebook writer. And he was very handsome, tall, clean shaven, intense eyes, about maybe 10 years older than I was. And he had this amazing, like, masculine energy that really turned me on. And I was still living at home in my mom's house, but I had moved out of my childhood bedroom with a twin bed into the guest room that had been furnished with a queen bed. And Tony Calderoni would come over and fuck me on the queen bed and do a couple of pumps and then pull out his dick and stick it in my mouth. And I thought, that was so hot. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like... Yes, I'll learn rock climbing with you, Tony. I want to learn how to do whatever it takes to impress you, former Navy SEAL Special special Forces guy. And so he began teaching me how to do rock climbing, you know, with the sticky shoes and the chalk on your fingers and the ropes and belaying down down the the rocks in, in our neighborhood, of which Indian Rock in Kensington or Berkeley is a popular one we used to go there but then when I got good enough he said okay you're good enough we're gonna take a camping trip to Yosemite to climb a granite cliff in Tuolumne Meadows and I was like super excited I had never done something so ambitious before but I had done a lot of traveling and the a couple of years prior to meeting Tony I had been to Peru And I had brought back some coca leaf from Peru. Do you guys know what coca leaf is? Coca leaf is basically what they make cocaine out of. You can't bring it back. You can't get it outside of South America. But in order to make cocaine, you need like tons and tons and tons of this stuff. And if you just have the leaves, well, that's what the native people or anybody in Peru use to make tea or to go trekking. It's kind of like their version of coffee. It's... um. It's sort of like a stimulant, but it doesn't get you high like cocaine. But it is a mild stimulant. Anyway, so I I brought some of my coca leaf with me. And we drive all the way to Yosemite. And we set up our camp on the roadside right in front of this cliff that we're going to climb in the morning. And I have to let you know that this is a crack climb. Instead of finding footholds and handholds, you have this sheer blank cliff face with a crack through it about the size and width of of your hand. And the way you climb it is by sticking your hands in the crack and climbing up as fast as you can. So I'll get to that in a minute. So we make camp and the tent is really tiny and I've been sucking on my coca leaf, which you're not supposed to swallow, by the way, because it's a leaf. And human beings are not cows. We can't digest leaves. But I I think I got a little bored and I was chewing it up and I probably swallowed some of it. And what happens when you can't digest something? 
You get gassy. So I was a little gassy. In fact, I was very gassy all night long, sleeping in this tiny little tent with Tony Calderoni, holding in my farts because I didn't want to <laughs> fart next to him because he's special forces. He would hear it. He'd wake up. He might get like PTSD or something and react all of a sudden in the middle of the night in this tiny little tent with me. So I had to hold in my farts. And as a result, I didn't sleep very well and barely slept at all. And in the morning... Tony is out there making coffee on this tiny little stove and I get out all bleary eyed and I put some more coca in my mouth without letting him see because he's very straight edge. I don't think he's ever done any drugs. So I didn't want him to see me with the coca leaf and ask questions like, what is it? Is it cocaine? No, it's not. It's an herbal thing that they use for trekking and da 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 da. But I didn't want to tell him all this. So we get up, you know, we we're getting ready to go on the climb and he gives me oh he gives me a bag of chalk and i don't have climbing shoes the specialized sticky soled shoes that you're supposed to wear i have tennis shoes i'm a cyclist so i'm not even wearing like proper climbing gear i'm wearing a bike bib which was a thing in the 90s that you can't find anymore it's gone out of fashion it's basically a onesie a shorts and tank top onesie with a padded butt. <laughs> so this is what I was wearing. It was purple. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got all his gear. And he is putting in these little, uh, he has this bag of, of hardware, which in, in climbing uh, lingo is called protection. And the idea is that when you're climbing up this sheer cliff, you wedge a little piece of metal into the crack and it springs open and it's engineered so that you can actually thread a rope through it and use the rope to tie around your waist in the event you lose your footing and you fall, you won't die. The protection will cling into the rock and hold you up there. So Tony goes up ahead of me and he's putting in the protection as he goes. And then it's my turn. And the way you climb this crack is you wedge your hands in and then you go up as fast as you can before you break your fingers. So all I could hear was the sound of the birds and the bright blue sky and the crisp smelling, the crisp mountain air. And there was nobody around but us and and the sound of my own voice going, fuck, 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 <laughs> as I wedged my hand into the crack and climbed as fast as I could. And I made it. I made it up all the way to the top of the cliff where Tony was waiting for me. And he's like, great, now we just walk back down the other side. And the other side is is still pretty steep. I mean, it's not a, a vertical cliff. It's a steep, it, it's like this steep granite slope with a ledge, a natural rock ledge, and then another steep slope and another sort of natural ledge and on down to the bottom of the mountain. And we're standing up on the top of this this cliff looking around at the valley below and the meadows and you can look down and see the tops of the pine trees and he's, he's going, going down the cliff, and then it's my turn. He's like, come on. 
and he's already taken my harness off and the ropes and put them all in his backpack. And he's waiting for me on the bottom of the first ledge, like 20 feet down. And so I start to go down and, and you got to realize I'm wearing tennis shoes, which are good for playing tennis, but they're not good for gripping (laughs) slidey rock surfaces. And I'm inching my way down and he's like, come on, come on. And I have the coca in my mouth, so I'm feeling fine. I'm not scared. And all of a sudden I slip and I fall on my ass and I start sliding down the cliff. And when he sees me, his eyes go wide and I say, here I come. (laughs) And I start sliding faster and faster and there's nothing to hold on to. And I'm heading straight for this little tiny ledge where he is. And he sort of crab walks through the edge of it to intercept my downward trajectory. And he opens up his arms wide and I crash into him. And he basically saves me from falling off this cliff. Only he's really angry and really pissed off because in his mind, he would have had to make that phone call that it's like, I'm sorry, uh, Mrs. Solar, uh, you know, your daughter, uh, I took her rock climbing up a cliff in Yosemite and she fell off the cliff. So he didn't want to have to make that phone call. <laughs> so he was mad. And, and I, I didn't understand at first why he was so angry. I was relieved and feeling like, oh, my hero, he saved me. And then I, I, I'm like, am I okay? Did I hurt myself? No, I feel like I'm okay. And then I, I reach around behind me and I feel my butt basically. And and there's this huge rip in my padded bike shorts and my ass is like bare naked out there, but it's unscathed because, because the, the bike shorts saved me from getting torn up by the, by the cliff as I slid down and I start laughing and he starts laughing and, and, and that's the story of how Tony Calderoni saved my life. <laughs> Yay. So, but, but when you're rock climbing, so I've never done this before, and this is going to be a stupid question, but so he goes up the, the surface first. Yeah, and he puts in the protection. But and he like, threads if the you, ropes through. So that so the if rope you, is but if you me. fall, if you let go, are you protected? Like, do you not yeah, die? Yeah, because I'm on a, I've got a harness. I'm sorry if this wasn't clear in the story. No, no, but I'm no, wearing, sorry. I'm wearing a harness with a rope around me, so that if I, if I can't climb up this crack, I'm not going to fall off the cliff because I'm, I'm basically roped in. And you know what the weird addendum to the story is, though? Please do tell. So as we're uh, leaving Yosemite, we stop in a, like a, a Kmart to get some drinks or something. And he starts teasing me about something. And he's got his keys in his hand with the keys pointed outwards. And he starts sort of poking me with the keys. And I'm like, stop that. Ow, that hurts. And God damn it, if this guy thought it was funny to poke me with his keys. So even though he saved my life, we didn't make it as a couple. Probably because I think he was abusive. 
Sure. Yeah, I think that you the might want to cut that, that out. <laughs> the skills that lead you to be a Navy SEAL are not necessarily the same skills that lead you to be emotionally available and a great partner, right? Like, those are two different sets of skills, I think. Totally I, different sets of skills. I, I have a question that I think is far more important than Julie's life or being abused by partners. <laughs> and I, I want to get inside the head of the Julie who was like, I know what to wear. My biking bib. That will be the perfect outfit for this adventure. Can you, do you have access to that part of yourself still? Okay, well, look, all I knew about sports was I, I was very good at bike riding. I think it was this. I was such a great bike rider. I biked all over San Francisco. I biked more than I walked. I biked more than I drove. I think I thought that I looked cool in my biking bib. Noted. And it was it was very form fitting. I think I thought that I looked hot actually in my biking bib. Um, God, I wish I had a picture, but me we didn't too. Have cell if you phone do, we'll post it in the days. story notes <laughs> of me and my biking bib. That would be amazing, right? Yeah, that would be amazing. I remember though when bike shorts were just becoming a, a fashion trend, and you couldn't necessarily buy them at a regular store. You did have to buy like actual bike shorts to participate in that that fashion trend with that the butt padding yeah yeah the butt padding i i uh i think some people in the audience will relate to the fact that bike shorts are are never fashionable and yet we wear them because they serve a purpose which is not it's basically to protect your nether region from the hardships of life Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether on a cliff or a bike so fuck all you people who think they look stupid. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> when I listen to your stories of dating, I always try to figure out, am I on team Julie or am I on team the other person in this case? And uh, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> What? Up until like... the key. Uh, I, 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 no, no, sorry. Team Julie all the way. Team Julie. Screw this Tony guy. Team Julie. <laughs> Wait, up until the key, you thought you thought you might be no, on no, team no, Tony? the whole no, the whole time, no, the whole time, <laughs> Team Julie. That's that's definitely where I was. That's why I love you, Mike. Is that you're on yeah. Team Julie? No team matter Julie. no matter the fact that I I chew coca leaves, I fart, I put myself in dangerous situations, I date team. terrible. Were men. you worried about the farting at all the next day while you were climbing? I think probably what I did was let a little go at a time when I was way below him, mm. so he would ne- never have a record of it. Yeah, he was above. <laughs> that was a good strategy. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. If you were Downwind. burping, that would have been a problem, but farting should have been <laughs> right. really easy. It's a good thing you were climbing right side up instead of upside down. <laughs> also. Like that a is a good strategy. <laughs> thank goodness yeah. for that. Oh, Tony. Uh, hopefully he'll never listen to this podcast. Hopefully he will not. <laughs> Otherwise, with his with Navy SEAL abilities, he'll come and murder us all. <laughs> no, I don't think he's the murdering type. He 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 wants people to stay safe and say safe. Basically, he's a very safe guy. If you're listening, Tony, I'll never forget you, buddy. Love you. Hope you're well. Aw, so sweet. <laughs> very nice. He's like he's stabbing the the boss with the keys right now. <laughs> All right, Mike, what do you got for us? All right, uh, I got my story. So 
I knew early on that I was a nerd. Elementary school draws the lines pretty clearly between who is cool and who is not. And in high school, we had all of the classic cliques. We had the stoners and the jocks and the popular people. And me, I was a nerd. In fact, the place where I ate lunch with all of my friends was designated as Geek Gulch by all the popular people. And that's where we were. And college was pretty much the same. In sophomore year, I was looking for a place to live, and I applied for the, uh, the co-op system, which was the cheaper alternative dorms where part of your rent was paid by working a work shift, like five hours a week. And so there were a bunch of different houses in the system, 18 different houses, and they all had a different theme. Uh, one was like the vegetarian house. One was the quiet house. One was the party house. Being a nerd, I applied to the quiet house because that's good for nerds. <laughs> But out of the 18 houses I applied to, I got assigned to Barrington Hall. Which Wait, was, where was this? This was at UC Berkeley. Um, and this was my last choice among all of the houses. It was infamous. I'm not sure exactly what the theme of it was. It might have been drugs or maybe it was anarchy. <laughs> it feels like the theme was, this is not the place for you, Mike. So I walk in there a couple days before sophomore year begins and I'm not exactly sure what I'm wearing. Probably a nice polo shirt that my mom had bought me. It was probably blue. I really like blue. Um, and I was probably listening to my Walkman. Undoubtedly, it was Billy Joel's Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2, just to get <laughs> amped up, to you know, rock and roll, to walk into this new living situation, which is going to be you know, cutting edge. And I get there and the student manning the front desk is entirely in black from his combat boots to his dyed hair. And his name is Gerg. <laughs> Gerg. I, I didn't know there would be Gergs. I, I, 30 seconds into this place and I'm already in over my head. And I introduce myself and I say that I'm checking in. And he says, okay, cool. I, I got a room I, I think you'll like. And he walks me through the hallways, which are just covered every inch of with, with murals that I don't understand. And he brings me to the door of my room, and he gives me the key, and he wanders off. And I open up the room. And the second thing I notice is that it's, it's a little more than coffin wide. And it's stuffed full of mattresses and dressers as though it had been used for storage. Hmm. But the first thing I notice is that it's all black. The, the walls are black, the floor is black, the ceiling is black. The room is entirely black, except for on one wall in blood red were the lyrics to the Rolling Stones painted black, which is a song about the, <laughs> the extreme grief that you feel when a loved one dies. So oh, welcome back to school, Mike. Over the next couple of weeks, when I would tell the story to my friends and I would bring them to the room, every single one of them would walk in and bust up and could say, oh my God, this is exactly I just, as you described it, but I did not realize it was this bad. And I enjoyed that vignette every single time it happened. So cathartic. But after a couple of weeks, I was kicked out of that room because it was very popular and I had no seniority. And so I was assigned to a different room. And so in Barrington, basically you had like three bedrooms and a bathroom in a suite. And then that was all behind a hallway door. So I walk down the muraled hallways to my new suite door and I knock on the door, not sure what's there. And it opens up and there's this scraggly dude 
named Lars staring at me. <laughs> and he's got a nose ring. I've never talked to anyone with a nose ring before. And so I, I introduce myself while staring at his nose ring. And he looks me up and down and he says, well, I hope you're not allergic to nudity. <laughs> and wanders back into his bedroom. Lars turned out to be a friendly guy, but true to form, was nude pretty often, which was surprising to me, but cool, I guess. And the other sweet mate that I met soon after was this woman named Aquarius, who was tiny and beautiful and brilliant and violent. And I've never been so scared of anyone in my life. Several times that year, we'd be woken up in the middle of the night by someone pounding on the sweet door in the middle of the night, some woman screaming for Aquarius to stop fucking their boyfriend. Oh my God. And I could never figure out if Aquarius was having sex with the boyfriend to get back at the boyfriend or the girlfriend. If it was just part of her whole burn it all down to the ground strategy. I'd never mm. met anyone who used sex for power before. And it was bewildering to me, but cool, but mostly scary. <sighs> but after a semester, I actually had the opportunity to move out but I kind of didn't want to. At this point, the place was growing on me a little bit, or maybe it was a rash that I'm only now getting over. I'm not sure, but I kind of wanted to see the, <laughs> see the year out. And so the second semester, I had a chance to swap my, my work shift of doing kitchen duty for being the Barrington mailman, which was a popular enough position that you had to be elected to it. So my roommate and I, we campaigned and we sang a song and we played the, the, the harmonica and we got elected. The cool weirdos at Barrington had accepted the nerdy Jews as their own. And over that year, I got to meet a bunch of the people. I met the weirdo who, who every party would put ferrets down his pants. And I got to know the woman who would sunbathe naked on the roof, spread eagle. And I got to know Gerg. And at the end of the year, I chatted with Gerg. And I said, dude, that first day when I checked in and you said you had a room I'd like, were you just fucking with me? And he looked at me with, sincerely with eyes that I suddenly recognized as kind and said, no, I thought it was a really cool room. I thought you'd like it. <laughs> and decades later, three years ago, when my daughter was applying for college and got accepted to one in New York, and I posted on Facebook saying, my daughter is going to college in New York, Aquarius reached out to me. And she DM'd me and she sent me a message with her phone number and said, give this to your daughter. I've been living in New York for 20 years. I can handle anything. Aww. If she needs anything fixed, I will fix it for her. You know I can. <laughs> and I will not ask any questions. Give her this phone number. And it felt like I'd been given a get out of jail free card. And it was charming. But I didn't understand why she'd given it to me. And do you know why I didn't understand? I didn't understand because I was still seeing the world through the same eyes that I had as a high schooler. I was still putting everyone in their boxes. She was a cool kid. I was a nerd. And that was just wrong. That is not how the world works. That is not how she works. And so I felt so stupid that for all these years, I've still been seeing the world this way, that they are the cool people and I am the nerd. And that's just not how it works. And so now, even in the middle of a pandemic, amidst all the other life changes we're trying to undertake, the one other thing I'm trying to do is I'm endeavoring to get rid of these boxes and to be less stupid. Thank you. <laughs> Aww. Yay.
Yay. Yay. Aquarius and Gerg. Gerg, any relation to Gerg? Did he have stomach problems all his life with the name? No, like I think I think Gerg. I mean that I I didn't change the name. That was actually the name he went by. All the names I changed in the story. But um, I think it was Greg backwards. I think that was his way of rebelling yeah. against the name he had been given. Yeah, I was Greg curious if it was a dyslexic Gerg. mother or something. No, no, yeah. I think I assume. And I never asked him that question. Like, Gerg. really, where did Gerg? But I, I assume that was him going. No way. <laughs> Whatever you named me, I'm the opposite of that now. <laughs> I assume that's what that was. But I like how you're Marie Kondoing your perception of social uh, norms and, and ways of being. You're getting rid of lots of boxes. Yeah? Yeah, right. I mean, I still do it. I still walk down the street. I still, I mean, I'm categorized you two. I've categorized everyone, and I need to stop doing it. How have so. you categorized us? Tell us, tell us. Yeah, what oh, box uh, are we in? I, you're both in the same box, oddly enough. A charming weirdo. Um, so <laughs> I'll take that box. I like it. Don't get rid of my box. That box makes me <laughs> no, feel safe. Maybe now. we should rename ah. the podcast Charming Weirdo. <laughs> I do like I don't know. it. It has a ring. Yeah, if you do have a podcast, that's what you can call it. That's not my That's not my box. I'm a nerd. But... Oh, you, yeah. You don't fit in our box, Mike, huh? No. No. Neither you're not a Charming part of it. Weirdo? Are you sure you're not a Charming Weirdo? Not even a little weird? I'm the arbiter of the charmer? boxes. <laughs> no, no. Now, what box are you in? Or do you still think that you're in the nerd box based on that categorization? Well, I've just time? vowed to get rid of the boxes, but were I still a box person? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still the nerd. Okay, fair. I agree. <laughs> I didn't mean to taunt you with your former box. I, no. I, I get that. I see that you've moved on, and I, I accept you for who you are now. Thank you nerd. very much. I, I appreciate that. It is a brand new world. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I think we cool, checked all guys. of it. All the story the boxes. boxes. Yeah. Boxes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so with nothing to check. <laughs> no, good job, Thanks. everybody. I feel like we Thanks knocked that me. one out of the park. Yeah, Mosa, will you that write really us a fun. review of your episode? <laughs> I wrote you a review. Yeah, oh like my God. Ago. Where's my friend credit, Julie? Where's my friend credit? She must be is the it... other one. Wait, is it on <laughs> iTunes? Yeah. Wait, it... Oh my god, I can't believe I missed this. <laughs> See, I've been passive aggressively oh my god. against you for Look all these Look at weeks. this. Wait, I have to read Moses' review. Uh oh. Bye. It's Warm- been nice. Big <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. <laughs> Warm and funny. Like peeing your pants. In the best way, Julie and Mike have great chemistry. Listening feels like being invited into a convo with funny, loving friends. Their earnest love of stories is contagious and inspiring. They are welcoming and kind to their guests who are consistently high-caliber storytellers themselves. I'll keep listening. Oh, Mosa, that's such that's a so nice sweet. review. Aww. Wow, See, I was this just is... trying to get a spot on the podcast, and it's worked. So bye, It totally losers. worked. Listen up, <laughs> so... other six people. The bar is high. <laughs> Write a good review, just like Mosa did. <laughs> Yay, I got Mike to ask people to write a review. <laughs> I beat you to the punch, Julie. <laughs> Good job. Excellent. Okay, awesome. Yeah, write us a review. Send us an email to Mike's email. <laughs> do we do we have a website yet for this podcast? Mike Mike's a web developer, everybody, but he does not want to make a podcast a website for our podcast. I mean, there's one built into the service, but um, but uh, all right, I will have I will have something next time for sure. <laughs> Okay. Well, well, Yay. write us a review, people. And if you want to be on the podcast, 
Um, MikeSella at gmail.com. That's who you can write to. That works. Mike M-I-K-E-S-E-L-A at gmail.com. Yay. All right. Well, thank you, Mosa. What are you doing thank next? You. Where can we see you perform or tell stories or what have you? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I'm really enjoying your storytelling workshop right now. So I guess the next place is your advanced storytelling showcase in that's, October. Thanks Look for the that. plug. Everybody, you asked me to plug myself and I plugged you. So I, plug I am Julie here. I am teaching storytelling workshops. <laughs> and uh, just go to storyslamoakland.com slash workshop if you are, want more information about the workshops. There will be a free showcase where you can hear Mosa's awesome workshop story, whatever it is, hmm. uh, in October, October 2020. Woohoo! Woohoo! Great. The best Thank thing about everybody. 2020. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. Oh, that's the other thing I'm doing in 2020. I'm having a, a birthday party for my cat. So there's that. If you want, it's a hot ticket event. Um, so if you want to come, does, that. Does, doesn't that happen every year? They're turning ten on ten ten. So mm. why not have a big Zoom birthday party? In fact, two two cat Zoom birthday parties because <laughs> that's my life. <laughs> I could answer the question why not, but I won't. So that is I my think gift to you. Best some questions are better left unanswered. <laughs> I've never been to a cat birthday party, and I'm really looking forward to it. I hope there's going to be cat favors like catnip and catfish and tuna fish and kitty litter favors and little stuffed mice made out of rabbit fur that we can bat around. So many ideas. You're like the Martha Stewart <laughs> of cat parties. <laughs> Thank there you, you Martha. There's your new bio. The Martha Stewart of cat parties. <laughs> Goodbye, you charming weirdos. This was really fun. Thank you. My That's a wrap. It's over. It's over. That's a wrap. It's over. Bye. Bye.